Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to X's and O's with your hosts, Greg Cassell and Doug Farrar. Good Tuesday morning, everyone. This is Doug Farrar, managing editor of Touchdown Wire, the USA Today Sports Media Group Network. And far more importantly, to my left, my right, I'm kind of like, you know, <laughs> <laughs> it's like with drum miking where you're, are you behind the kit or in front of the kit? Anyway, uh, the guy in the orange sweatshirt is Greg Cosell, uh, executive producer of NFL Films and the shot caller behind ESPN's NFL Matchup Show, which, of course, we all watch all the time. And Greg, uh, you know, great response in the first two weeks to the X's and O's pod slash video slash series of articles. Um, And with the draft two days away, oh, my gosh, I wanted to talk to you about not, (laughs) you know, your top running back, your top quarterback, your top whatever. You've watched over 200 guys in detail at this point, 200 prospects plus. I have. I wanted to get into, and I'm going to do my own list later, but I wanted to get into your list of, the guys, he's not going to go in the first round. He's not my top guy at this position. But the players that were just the most fun slash interesting slash revelatory to watch. Now, I have a, you had, you sent me six guys, and I've watched – I had watched three of them to a more detailed degree. I was trying to play catch-up this morning on the other three. But And we're going to talk overall concepts um, beyond just the prospects. I want to start with, and boy, the analytics people are not going to like you, Greg, because you have two running backs on this list, and we all know that running backs don't matter, so I don't know what the heck you're doing. Well, you know, it's funny. There's a lot of guys, during the NFL season, I do watch college football often on Saturdays, not from, you know, noon to midnight, but, you know, I see some games, but a lot of times when I put on the tape, Doug, and and I don't know if it's like this for you as well, because obviously you are NFL focused during the the NFL season, but there's a lot of guys I've heard their names, but I don't really know anything about them. You know, so, so it's virgin territory as it were when I Mm -hmm. put on their tape. And sometimes I watch a guy and I go, Ooh, you know, I don't think the tape's really good. And other times I put a guy on and I go, man, I know this guy's name, knew nothing about him, but I'm really enjoying watching his tape. So as you said, these are not guys that are going to be top 40 picks. They might not even get drafted on day two. Some might, some might not. Uh, fortunately, I don't have to do mock drafts, so I don't think in those terms when I watch players. As you well know, we've been friends for a long time, and you kind of know that I'm into the process of evaluation and then how guys project and transition to the league, not necessarily at what slot they'll be drafted. Um, right. So well, I'm in the process think, of evaluation, and mock drafts basically pay for it. So there you go. Right, right. So, you know, I was watching two two running backs, and one of them I watched last summer – and that was Tank's, Tank Bigsby of Auburn. I watched his tape last summer and then, of course, watched him again this year. And then the other was Eric Gray, who yes. played one year at Oklahoma. And uh, he was a transfer from Tennessee and was a big-time recruit, I believe, out of Memphis when he went to Tennessee. And, you know, they're both – they're a little different stylistically. And you and I both know that 
in this era of running backs, neither one would be considered special, so they're not going to be drafted high. Um, But it gets into, you know, to me, when I watch backs, it kind of gets into a larger discussion because I'm always conscious of these conversations that are had with smart, reasonable people about running backs, the value of the run game, what that means in today's NFL. Um, You know, Bigsby is a very good runner. Bigsby is the kind of back that, depending upon team and scheme, could be a foundation back in your normal down and distance base personnel type situations. He He's that kind of back. He's right. a physical runner. He's got a little more wiggle and juice than you might think, but he's not explosive. He's not necessarily a take it to the house back, but there's a, a physical mentality and mindset and he works extremely well in confined space and he gets hard yards. Yep. You know, those kinds he lives of backs, up to his first name or his nickname. Correct. Those kinds of backs are necessary in the league. Um, you know, Eric Gray is another guy that is not explosive. He's not, you know, a home run hitter. He's probably a little shiftier than Tank Bigsby, just in mm-hmm. terms of looseness of hips and his ability to work again in confined space, but he does it differently. He's not necessarily a lower his shoulder guy, but he's quicker with his feet. He's more laterally agile. So he works in confined space differently than Bigsby, but in a sense, they get the same kind of thing accomplished. So getting to that larger discussion about the run game, to me, it's more of a philosophical discussion. I think when when people talk about the run game, and please feel free to jump in, because I know you've given this a lot of thought as well, it's, it's it's not so much that running backs don't matter. It's how you structure your offense, because yes. the reality is at some point you're going to need to run the ball. Now, does that mean that you're the Tennessee Titans and you structure your offense where everything has to work off the run game? Or do you accept that, hey, we need to run the ball at some point. We'd rather have a better back than a worse back. So now how do we best allocate our resources? Um, That sort of is, it's kind of a philosophical issue. And and people may forget, I think it was either in 2000, what was the year the Chiefs made it to the AFC Championship game? uh, Excuse me, the Titans made it to the AFC Championship game. And I believe they lost to the Chiefs. Um, uh, 19? Was it 19? Could be, Well, the point is, is they were obviously an offense that were structured around Derrick Henry, but they also averaged over 30 points a game that year. So, you know, Mm -hmm. you can score points with your running back being a foundational piece of your offense or even being the foundational piece of your offense. So I I always struggle with the platitudinous statements that you can't do this, you can't do that. You know, there's a lot of different ways to do things. We all know that it's a quarterback league. We we know that. Mm -hmm. But – that doesn't mean that your quarterback's dropping back 60 times a game. You know, there's, how do you structure your offense in terms of personnel, in terms of formation? What do you do on first down? Idea, third down is obviously critical in this league um, yeah. in, in, for so many positions, not just for quarterback or running back for that matter. Yeah. Um, but, you know, obviously we're not going to talk now necessarily in detail about Bijan Robinson or Jameer Gibbs who are – likely to be the first two running backs off the board wherever they go we don't know the answer to that but one could make the argument that they're weapons they're not just running backs yes they are weapons and then it becomes incumbent upon an offensive coordinator to figure out how to get your best weapons on the field and how to how to deploy them 
So, you, you know, yeah. Bigsby, Bigsby is not a weapon in that sense. Gray's not a weapon in that sense. They're more traditional running backs. But at the end of the day, you want your best weapons on the field. And how do you deploy them? You teed me up perfectly for my thoughts on running backs. Uh, the, Obi-Wan, the Obi-Wan Kenobi quote, only a Sith deals in absolutes. I don't deal in absolutes in evaluation because every team is different. Every player is different. Uh, running backs are like insurance. They don't matter until they matter, and then they really matter Correct. a lot. Um, now, in I, I put up my list of the, my top eight running backs. Um, this mor- It went up this morning. I finished it last night. Um, and there are so many different types of running backs. So correct. the fact that there isn't that platitudinous, great word, by the way, um, the fact that there isn't that absolute, we have to have this hammerhead in the middle or this speed guy, in the, like this guy has to define our offense. I think that's taken the shackles off of offensive coordinators and coaches. And, you know, ideally you're just like, okay, we can be creative with this. We can go all kinds of different ways. And I'm looking at my top eight running backs. I, I like Gray a lot. He just missed the list. Bigsby just missed the list. But I've got all kinds of running backs in my top three. Bijan Robinson, who I, I mean, to me, he's the best running back prospect I've seen since Adrian Peterson. He's a different level of guy. Jameer Gibbs, very much an Alvin Kamara, sort of Brian Westbrook type guy. Zach Charbonnet, who up from UCLA, who reminds me of a bit of Marshawn Lynch. And whether we are eye to eye with those comparisons, my overall, our overarching point with running backs is now the fact that you're not tied to the idea of a franchise running back allows you, it gives you the ability to be far more creative in how you deploy running backs in your offense. And to me, that's a good thing. Yeah. And it also comes down to the issue of what a running back can do in your offense to make the defense have to play a certain way. Yes. I mean, you know, I, I don't want to go back. I'm going back far now, and the and the game was different, okay? But, I mean, I think about the Dallas Cowboys in their heyday in those in those those 90s teams. Yep. You know, obviously they had Emmitt Smith. They had a really good offensive line. They had a really accurate quarterback who was also a power thrower in Troy Aikman. They had Michael Irvin, you know, right there with Jerry Rice as the most dynamic wide receiver, most impactful wide receiver at the time. But my point is this, is that they didn't have to establish the run. The run was already established. So defenses lined up a certain way, particularly in normal down and distance situations. And one of the big myths about the Cowboys back then was that they came out and they ran the ball. They actually came out and they threw the ball and that's how they got ahead. And then they ran the ball in the second half when they had the lead. You know, Troy Aikman might have had 17 pass attempts in the first (laughs) half, and he'd end up with 23 because in the second half they were ahead. You know, as as people may remember, they were ahead by a meaningful score that they didn't have to throw the ball very much, and then they ran the ball. Um, But the point is it's it's what a run game and the threat of a run game and a good back does to defensive personnel and alignment. Um, I know this is a little off topic, but it's 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 also now what a mobile quarterback does for a de- to a defense. It's what Jalen Hurts forces the defense to do in terms of use of personnel and alignment, and that becomes so critical. So the run game is a factor. It doesn't mean every single Sunday you have to give it to a single back twenty three times. That, but how many times? So if you're a really good offense. Doug, and you're able to be ahead, you know, late in the third quarter, early fourth quarter, 
We saw this with the Bills. They struggled to run the ball, and there were times they couldn't put the game away, and, and so therefore they, had, they continued to have Josh Allen continue to throw the football. Where you know that's when you want to be able to line up and run the ball, you know, and and it's not just with four minutes left in the game. If you're a really good offense and you're up twenty seven thirteen, you know, with four minutes to go in the third quarter, you want to be able to line up and run the football. And in today's NFL, being up twenty seven to thirteen in the fourth quarter is no guarantee of victory, as we know. Um, so there's that. It, I remember Sid Gilman talking in the seventies about using the pass to set up the run, and everyone thought he was crazy. It kind of right. speaks to what you were talking about. Uh, moving to receivers, you have a guy who is kind of a sleeper on my list too, is Xavier Hutchinson uh, from Iowa State. And the thing that really struck me. When I watched his tape, I mean, nice speed, you know, get downfield. He had a really good sense of subtle movement to create openings and confined yep. spaces. Like he would eliminate the contested catch with, you talked about Michael Irvin, the subtle push-offs, which in Michael's case were not subtle, but he has that ability to, you know what I mean? He'll just, he'll put a little Absolutely. elbow in there. He has a really good sense of how to, how to sort of scheme himself open as the ball's coming in. Really good timing with that. I saw that over and over with him. Yeah, and it's funny because how many times do we see people in our business, you know, people you and I respect, might look at a guy like Hutchinson and go, oh, he's not a vertical threat. He doesn't have vertical speed. You know, he's not necessarily phenomenal run after catch and immediately dismiss him. Um, But that doesn't present a full picture of what this guy is. I mean, he's got really good size. He's a multiple location receiver. He's got yes. inside outside flexibility. Yes. He's got a, you just hit it right on the head. He's got a refined and nuanced feel for route running. And that, exactly, really, that stood out for him more than most receivers in this class who we would, we, who we would term better. Yes. And, and, you know, he's got excellent route quickness. Okay. Mm-hmm. Running yes. routes there, there may be no better example than Cooper cup. Okay. Mm-hmm. You know, he ran a four, six, two at the combine. I was there. I don't know if you were there that year. Um, he ran a four six two, and people immediately said, "Oh my God, the guy's going to be a fifth round pick. He's no good." And you know, and particularly coming out of a small school, Eastern Washington, all of a sudden he was dismissed. And and you know, I'm not being sarcastic, but obviously he's done pretty well in the league um, yeah, he, because he had an understanding, which Hutchinson has as well, of the pace and tempo of different routes. You yes. don't run all routes at the same speed. You don't run them all at the same pace. There's a you know, each route is its own route. Um, and I think with someone like Hutchinson, there's a kind of a smooth quickness, mm-hmm. but a, a refined smooth quickness. It's, you know, everything is different. And he has a diversified release package to attack and defeat press, which is really important. Now, I'm going to make a couple of comparisons, and I hope that people don't take it apples to apples. I know you won't. Um, there's a lot of receivers in the NFL who are very good at what they do, but mm-hmm. That's what they do, okay? Right. They're not necessarily – they can't do everything, but they're really good at what they do. Yes. You know you know the vibe I got watching Xavier Hutchinson? Keenan Allen, okay? And Keenan okay. Allen, people yes. may remember, Keenan Allen was a third-round pick. So while now he's a, you know become a great receiver in the NFL, but he's great at what he is, you're not going to say Keenan Allen, man, that guy's a vertical – Dynamo. That's no, not but it's he, he he was he is expert at that same kind of subtle displacement correct. we were talking about. Yes, but like I said, he was a third round pick. So people, you know, when he came out, no one said, "Man, Keenan Allen, he's a top ten guy without question." 
You know, I remember watching him at Cal. I really liked his tape in the same way I kind of liked Hutchinson's tape. Yeah. You know, I knew what he was. I can and see and he's ter- turned out to be that. So Hutchinson, to me, and again, I don't know whether he's going to be drafted on day two. For all you and I know, he could be a fifth-round pick. Who knows? You know, every draft has a lot of receivers. So you never know. But to me, he struck me as that kind of vibe. That's the kind of player he is. But he's very, very good at it. Well, I, two quick stories about Cooper Cup. Number one, uh, in my receivers list, I had Jackson Smith and Jigba rated two uh, with only Zay Flowers over him. And my comparison for Smith and Jigba was Cooper Cup because Smith and Jigba does not really have a fifth gear, but no. he's so nuanced and practiced in the things he does. And there were similar route concepts. It, I would agree that was that. one of the that was one of the more easy NFL comps for me to superimpose. Yeah, he's he so, might be just a touch juicier in his separation yeah. quickness, but but Cup is really really good. I mean, Cup Cup just yeah, every element of understanding how to be a receiver Cup has. Well, and also I was uh, I got to talk to Vernon Adams, who was Cup's quarterback at Eastern Washington. And Vernon didn't make it in the NFL; he played in the CFL for a while. Great kid, was really you know informative, and he could not stop talking about Cooper Cup. He said, "I played with a lot of good guys. Cooper Cup is going to take over the NFL." And I'm like, "Okay, I'll put a check by that." And Vernon was right. So there you go. Um, I want to move to, and I, I liked this player on your list. One of the more intriguing cornerbacks, ah. and I can't. I kind of think if you don't get Devon Witherspoon as your sort of six foot one ninety aggressive hands based good foot movement corner, you might want to look at Riley Moss of Iowa in the second or third day. He's a really interesting guy. I, I really liked Riley Moss. Um, now I, I keep seeing a lot of people say that you know he should be a safety, which I don't understand. Of course, a couple of years ago, people said that about Alante Taylor from Tennessee, and I didn't understand that either. And he actually played really well at corner for the Saints because uh, Lattimore was hurt so much this year and actually had a great conversation with Jeff Ireland about Alante Taylor, who kind of said, I don't know why people thought he was a safety. But Riley Moss, first of all, Riley Moss, he ran, for whatever it's worth, he ran a four four five, which is pretty darn good. His finger split was phenomenal. His yeah. measure, his athletic testing measurables were great. This guy, to me, is a corner. I mean, he's he is smooth and fluid. He's not, I wouldn't say he's twitchy and sudden, but he's really smooth and fluid. Yes. He's physical. He's competitive. Um, very physical. He can very play on the outside. On yes. He, yeah, he's got great ball skills. He's got great ball production. And he plays in zone coverage, which, as you know, a lot of college corners are not very good at. Right. He plays in zone coverage really well. He has great awareness. He plays with eye discipline, which mm-hmm. if you ever have a chance, you, you I'm sure have. I've sat in on, on defensive back coaches meetings. They talk yep. about eye discipline until it's coming out of their eyes, so to speak. Yep. Um, you know, and, and he understands routes and route concepts and combinations. He understands who the quarterback is looking at. Um, this guy, to me, is an outside corner. And this, to me, based on tape study, some listening might think this is a bold, controversial statement, but I liked Riley Moss's tape far more than I like Kaylee Ringo's tape. And I know Ringo at 6'2", with the four three six speed. I mean, I know that that gets people excited, but I thought the tape said that Riley Moss was a better football player. I think that... Riley Moss is far more of an easy transition player, if you know what I mean, when he has to turn, when he has to stop, 
when he has to stop and follow, when he has to match, because so much of defense now is it's like placement and matching as opposed to overplaying cover three. Well, no, we're not. We're probably flipping our safeties and doing something weird. Um, I, I think he fits into that very well. He was a, you know, I, I, I liked him the more I watched him and in, you know, what you want from a cornerback in today's NFL, I do think he fits that. He's also good in off. He can sort of read things and, and, yeah. and you know, transition and understand where he needs to be. So he doesn't have to be pressed up on you, which for, I don't know what his wingspan is, but it looked large. It looked long. He looked like a long guy. Yeah, well, and the other thing that stood out to me, and I don't know if you – I try to watch – Anybody who plays in the Big Ten at corner, and if they play Ohio State, you have to watch not only Marvin Harrison, but every receiver they have is a five-star. Um, yeah. So on the second play of the game, Moss, out of mirror match press man, with no safety help over the top, ran with Marvin Harrison stride for stride on a vertical route. He yeah. was stride for stride with him. So, I mean, this idea that you know he can't play outside corner, I don't really understand that. One of the things you've told me before is you don't need to listen to coaches talk about their players. They'll tell you what they think of their players when you watch how their players are deployed. You look at the number of times Riley Moss didn't have safety help against some really good yes. receivers. That'll tell you pretty much all you need to know right yeah. there. Yep. So, so yeah. Uh, moving to our final two players, and these are, well, Jartavius Martin from Illinois, which is, gosh, DBU all of a sudden. Um I'm going to call him a safety because he was on my safety list. And then Trey Dean, uh, the safety from Florida. Give me kind of your summary of these two guys and any larger, more global thoughts Uh, on safety play. Yeah. Safety is another position that as the years have gone by, I think people realize its importance. Years and years ago, people always said things like, well, you can get a safety in the fifth round. You know that you've been doing this a while. You know, and I think the safety position has just become far more important. Mm-hmm. I remember having a conversation um, a number of years ago uh, with Steve Spagnolo. Uh, wasn't that actually wasn't that long ago? It might have been the year he was out uh, before he uh, after he left the Giants and before Andy brought him in as the DC in um, in Kansas City. I and, talked to him in Miami for that Super Bowl, and he said he hung out that year off. He hung out with you at NFL Films like the whole time. He did. He did. Yeah. So, you know, and I knew him before then, but we had some, you know, I, great conversations. Obviously, I was asking a ton of questions, sure. you know, because he's a lot smarter than I am. So I was asking a ton of questions and getting, you know, I learned a ton of football. So, yeah, he was here a lot. Um, but the point I'm trying to make is this, is that I remember saying to him, you know, I said, you know, talk to me about safeties because there's been a, you know, you've been coaching a long time. And there was a time probably when you started where people talked about safeties as, hey, not being that important, you know, you you can get them anywhere in the draft. They're just not that big a deal. And he said, you know, he said, that's the difference between a lot of times between sort of scouts and coaches. He said, if I don't have good safeties, then my playbook becomes condensed because there are certain things I can't do. And that always stuck with me. So it's always easy to make statements on the outside about what positions are important and what positions are not important. And look, we know that teams do have to allocate resources in certain ways. We understand that. But coaches also understand that if they don't have good players at certain positions, they have to compensate for that or camouflage it. And they don't really want to be doing that. So because, it, as I said, it limits what you can do, and there's no coach that wants to go into a game with a game plan that's limited. So 
you know, I think that that the safety position has become far, far more important. And you need safeties that are far, far more versatile in their skill sets and their traits than maybe we thought years ago. And Jartavius Martin, to me, and I know you watched a lot of um, um, Illinois because of yeah. Witherspoon and, and Sidney Brown, as did yeah. I. So the big question to me with this kid, who, by the way, I love this kid on tape. Mm-hmm. I mean, he played safety. He played slot corner. He played outside corner. I guess the question is, where does he line up in the NFL? I mean, right. in, in some ways, he was lowercase Brian Branch. You know, he was that yes. kind of player. I you know, I mean, his 40 time was really good. His vertical jump was off the charts. His broad was off the charts. His athletic testing was phenomenal. Um, so you have to decide. His 10-yard split, split of 1.47 seconds was the 96th percentile. Vertical yeah, jump, 98th. I mean, and a lot of people look at that because of the, the quickness and burst factor, which yes. the game is much more about that than just running in a straight line. Um, right. So, you know. What did, what do teams think he can be? Because I thought he played actually all three positions pretty well. Yeah, Safety, did. slot, and even when he lined up outside, he yep. played that pretty well. I mean, I got sort of vibes a little bit of um, of um, the kid from Michigan a year ago who the Bengals drafted. Hill. Uh, oh, Dax Hill. Dax Hill, yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, who um, he was somewhat similar. Um, yeah. He didn't play outside corner for Michigan, but I thought he had the traits to do so. But he played safety in, the, in Michigan's base and slot in their sub. Jartavius Martin is is very much that kind of player. But I, I really, really liked his game a lot. He's just a really good football player. I could and see that because – yeah, go, go ahead. ahead. In the, no, go ahead. Go ahead. In, the, uh, in that uh, – the Michigan defense of that time, it wasn't, you know, blitz and play man. It it was a lot more spacing and sort of thought and late movement, and you really had to deploy. And there's, you know, not that Illinois' defense is exactly the same, but there are some more. Um, yeah, I got kind of a Julian Blackman hit off of him. I think I like him as a safety a lot. I like him as a deep safety a lot. And Illinois played a ton of uh, – Which he can play. He played yeah, a lot of that. Played a ton of one and three, so you can pretty much line him up. Where, and didn't he, he started as a cornerback when he moved. And that, you know, we talk about Brian Branch or Micah Fitzpatrick or Dax Hill. You know, when you watch safeties now, and you know this better than I do, you know, you might play 40% safety and half – you know, if you're playing safety now and you're not playing slot really well – you had better be Ed Reed or Earl Thomas because you won't get on the field. If no, you're I, a safety who can't play slot and you're not a great, like, Hall of Fame deep third safety, you're going to wind up in the XFL pretty quickly. And not as many teams now, as you know, Doug, play sort of what the Seahawks did in the Legion of Boom days where they clearly oh, no. have a box safety and a free safety, you know, as a post safety. No. Safeties now are far more interchangeable because yes. it allows teams to do more – defensively, you know, conceptually and thematically and structurally, you know, obviously that Seahawk defense was so good that they could pretty much line up and say, here we are, we're better than you. And they were better than pretty much everybody they played, but there's not, there's very few teams like that. So teams, you know, coaches want to have flexibility and they want versatile players on the back end, particularly at safety. You don't want to just line up Micah Hyde at, at, post safety and Poyer in, in, you know, in the box, you want to be able to have them be interchangeable, which they are in Buffalo, Um, you know, and Martin can be that. Um, So, and more teams now play with split safety and that gives them added responsibility. So, you know, Martin certainly fits today's NFL. 
The other safety who is getting no conversation at all. And again, I'm just I have not watched a snap of him. And I'm just watching tape, so I'm not going to sit here and say I'm right or wrong. Maybe I'm going to be 100% wrong. And I guarantee a lot of people just immediately soured on him because of his 40 time, um, which was mm-hmm. 475. He got it under 47 at his pro day. Oh, okay. Um, that's Trey Dean of Florida. Yeah. Now, I really like Trey Dean's tape a lot. First of all, he plays way faster than that. You watch him, he's okay. a pursuit player, he moves. I mean, he he he's probably more of a box safety or a quarter safety lining up to the boundary side of the formation. Yes. But this guy has length. He's six two and five eighths, two hundred pounds. Um, he's got great length. He's very fluid. You know, he, he like I said, he looks much faster than his forty time. He plus he went to school as a corner, so he's got a background as a corner. So he's going to be able to match up with that size and corner background to tight ends, man to man. I really liked his game a lot. I mean, I think he's got size. He's got movement. I, you know, I watched him, and maybe I'm crazy, and and I'm sure, having said this now publicly, if I'm wrong, believe me, I'll hear about it on social well, media. I'll come after you. But I didn't – I kind of liked his game more than I liked Antonio Johnson's game. Interesting. Um, I, I, wa- I got to watch a little this morning after you gave me the list, and the size thing, obviously you know this play, where Darnell Washington, who's like eight feet tall and weighs yep. 500 pounds, he was running that crosser, and he not only had to keep up with Washington, he had to navigate the official, and he it wasn't a breakup, but he basically out-muscled Darnell Washington for Correct. the football. That's pretty good. Yeah. No, this kid's well, he, good he comes, he He's got a hunter's mentality out there, too. No question. I mean, this kid this kid plays that way. So he was a guy, again, you know, I didn't know Florida's defense. I saw I watched the SEC a lot, so I knew his name and right. I certainly knew Gervon Dexter, their D tackle, you know, who I watched in detail as well. But I mean, Dean, I didn't know much about him. Um, and I just kept watching him and saying to myself, this guy plays way faster than four seven five. I mean, I agree with. That. I didn't yeah. know it's forty time, but yeah, I wouldn't. I would have thought he was a four five. No, he shot gaps in the run game. He blitzed yeah. off the edge and and ran down guys on the other side of the field. He was a pursuit player. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't think you want to play him a lot as your post safety, but hey, there's a lot of safeties in every draft that you don't want to play a lot as your post safety. Let me ask you one question, and then we'll and then we'll uh, go out. As much spinning as teams do now, whether it's you know single high to, to two high and, and yep. vice versa, how important is it that you can at least play credibly in you know in the in the deep third? And can he do that? Just so you're flipping and confusing the quarterback, you're not going to have to take you know Jamar Chase up the, up the seam, but you can at least have you can at least present a credible threat. And I think he can do that because I'm made it a point, and, and I know you haven't watched him in the detail I have. Yeah. But the times that he did play it, he showed pretty smooth transition and change of direction. Okay. Um, even when he had to play with a little range, he showed it. Now, I'm not sitting here saying he's Earl Thomas, but I think he can do it. You know, again, you're not going to do it on 70% of your snaps, but I think he can do it at times. You know, keep in mind, look at what the Eagles had on defense last year when, when um, you know, uh, Gardner Johnson got hurt. They were playing with Blankenship and Epps. And you yep. know what? It worked out just fine. Somebody yep. had to play post safety on occasion, and it worked out okay. Yeah, your guy, uh, Trey Dean, played – he played everywhere. Split, yep. field, box, slot, 22% slot, fits into that thing. 
2% corner all over the place. So, yeah. Well, Greg, that's kind of your uh, – I wanted to get your kind of five or six guys, your sort of all underrated draft team. Uh, and you are neither underrated. Uh, <laughs> you're not underrated well, at all. As I said, I could probably have done 30 more guys in this category. But, yeah, just there's always guys, you know, who who strike you just like they do with you, I'm sure, when you watch that you didn't yep. necessarily know a lot about. And you go, wow, I really like this guy's tape. It's all based on tape. You know, yeah. I don't – I'm. you and I are not – well, I'm certainly not. Maybe you do more with where you work. But I'm not interviewing these players, so I don't know their personalities. Sometimes you can tell – what a guy is personality-wise by the way in which he plays. You know that oh, yeah. he studies by watching him play. Yep, absolutely. Well, Greg, we're happy you're part of uh, our team. The next time we talk, the draft will be over and done and in the barn, and uh, we'll have a lot to discuss then. But as always, thanks for your time and your expertise, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Doug. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.